you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Welcome back, everyone, to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. It's Roger back at you once again. And I don't need to tell any of our audience or anyone listening or viewing about the passion of this business. It really, really runs deep. And if we're in this business, you know what I'm talking about. It really is the driving force behind what we do. And I'm so excited with this week's guest because passion is so evident in how she started this business. But there's a little twist here. This lady didn't set out to be a restaurateur or to be in the restaurant space. She instead wanted to create a health and wellness business. And that is the spin on pizza. She has a pizzeria, a very successful San Diego-based pizzeria that really took an organic and holistic and all-natural approach to the foods that she served and how she sources those foods and how she started with a certified nutritionist to create a menu and about how she's community-minded and she's building a business by being a good neighbor in her community and not only offering good tasting food, but good for you food. And that, my friends, is a competitive advantage. So please stay tuned to this episode. I'm speaking with Anisha Blodgett, and she is from a company called Powerhouse. And it's not just about pizza. It's about a whole different approach to running this business. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Of course, these are engaging topics that help restaurants build their brands, rock their profits, deliver amazing guest service experiences, and do good for the planet. With me today, Ms. Anisha Blodgett, and she is an owner-operator with a really powerful concept. It is called Powerhouse Pizza in San Diego. Welcome to the show, Anisha. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited because you have a very unique um, marketing angle to your business. It's really the foundation of your business. But before we get into all of that, can you really tell us um, what's your backstory in hospitality in the restaurant business? Do you have an early inspiration? Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you get into this thing? I've never worked in a restaurant before this. Love it. So didn't even like bus tables as a side job. I was always in uh, like the retail industry growing up. So this was my first experience. Owning uh, was open, owning the restaurant. <laughs> okay, so you know that's interesting. Be careful for <laughs> what you wish for, because it might. <laughs> you know, I have a very similar story. I had absolutely mm-hmm. no restaurant experience twenty-five years ago when I started my first restaurant. And call me crazy, I succeeded in a big way, and you're succeeding as well, which is great. It shows that there's hope for those out there with a dream, those entrepreneurial people that just have a passion for something. So it sounds. Mm-hmm. Foundation of your business really started with a passion. Is that true to say? Mm-hmm. So my background, my professional background, in commercial real estate. So I, I went to business school in undergrad, and then I worked in commercial real estate on a finance side. And from there, um, I was really getting into health and wellness. I did, um, and and I was also thinking I want to do um, more development in real estate. So I did a master's in construction management. And when I moved to San Diego, it just seemed like the right time and the right city to be doing something in the health and wellness space. And so it just ended up being um, manifesting itself as a restaurant. Um, So I look at it as more of a health and wellness business as opposed to like a traditional restaurant. Oh, good. Okay. (laughs) That That makes perfect sense. So you didn't really set out to 
be in the restaurant business, you just have a passion and a belief strongly in health and wellness, mm-hmm. being healthy as you can be, and then sharing that philosophy with other people that have to eat. Exactly. Gotcha. Yes, that's gotcha. where it all started. So how long did this whole planning process take before the ideas for, well, powerhouse pizza, right? It germinated in your idea. It became some sort of a dream and aspiration. Okay, let's do this thing. And how long did that process take? And what, what obstacles may you have had in the beginning getting it going? So it took me about um, eight months from when I, so I, so I moved to San Diego. I was wrapping up my master's at the same time. And I was actually initially thinking that I wanted to do from a development standpoint, a food hall and have all the different wellness vendors invite, like involved in retail and then the different healthy food options, um, pizza, pasta, tacos. And from there, I realized that that would have been too big of a project for me to undertake on my own um, after doing my research on it mm-hmm. for my master's thesis. And I wanted to pick one aspect. I wanted to pick the pizzas. Um, that was something that I was making for myself, a healthy alternative pizza. And there was nothing like that in San Diego. So I picked out one aspect. And then I would say that it took me about eight, eight months till I signed the lease. So from deciding, okay, let me, I think this is the route I want to do. It took me about eight months of research, recipes development, understanding the financials, um, understanding more about the hospitality industry, to signing a lease and being like financially in <laughs> no right, turning back right. once you sign that lease and then of course. That was another eight months so i did have that build out time to then you know continue improving and finalizing my equipment different things like that so it was a benefit for you to have a commercial real estate background as well as construction management experience and degrees and all that because this is one of the critical things about opening a restaurant obviously that location 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 thing and then all the all the due diligence that goes into looking at multiple spaces and doing traffic counts and deciding, okay, is the access easy? Is there enough parking? Is there enough visibility? And can I work with this landlord? And do you interview other mm-hmm. people, tenants in that space to say, is this guy easy to deal with? Is the rent, you know, is there common area maintenance charges? I mean, there's so many ins and outs of this. Yeah, definitely. My background definitely helped in terms of understanding. Um, looking at it from my landlord's perspective too. So there's definitely as a startup, brand new concept, unproven, um, yes. there's definitely a lot of space that wasn't available to me. Um, you know, best space in downtown uh, that's also being looked at by everybody else is just not going to be available to me. So I had to work with what I knew was going to be, you know, the types of landlords that would work. And it worked out really well because the neighborhood that I'm in, I'm in San Diego and I'm in Pacific Beach, which is a very young beach town neighborhood. It's also very health and wellness minded. There's probably about 20, 25 gyms just in my immediate, like within one mile of my Mm -hmm. store. So it was the right neighborhood. It it was the right landlord. He was also looking at, like it was a second generation space. We ended up doing a lot of, um, improvements to it, but it was a Papa John's before. And so my background definitely did help in terms of like, I knew I wanted a second generation space. We ended up doing a lot more work than I anticipated, which I'm sure every restaurant owner has yeah. you know, encountered, but um, versus starting from call it a retail space and having to upgrade all of the electricity and all of the plumbing. So 
Now, what about HVAC and ventilation for cooking equipment? Was any of that stuff still in place because it was sort of a Papa John's before you got there? Yeah, I got the I got the hood. Um, we ended up having to upgrade it to so they have like just a type one or a type two, and I ended up having to upgrade it to the other type. I can't remember sure. exactly which one. Um, but I did have all of my, like, they have, like, a 400-amp panel in there, so that was huge. It didn't, it could operate all of my equipment without having to do improvements to electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, HVAC, we don't have a lot of it. Like, it was all, like, the old AC and stuff like that. But we ended up opening up our windows completely, so the garage door roll up. So we have a lot of a breeze as it is. So, you know, there was really a t- need to do much. That's good. Um there was a key takeaway for the audience just a moment ago when you talked about how well and focused and how you know targeted the local community is to the concept you're offering, it being a young, homeless-minded mm-hmm. community, and the location really worked out fine. And had you gone downtown San Diego, perhaps the rent would have been more expensive. You know, parking would have been an issue, perhaps. I mean, all these things need to be factored in when you're looking mm-hmm. at a location. Um, did you stumble on that space? Did you do tons of market research before you found it? It's like you lived there or you were familiar with that as an up-and-coming young health and wellness area. Like, how did that come So about? I used um, LoopNet, loopnet.com, oh. I believe it is what okay. it is. And all of the commercial listings are listed there. So I was just looking for space. I didn't have a broker representing me. I was just looking mm. for space on my own. Um, and that, that's a great resource. Everything's going to be on there. <laughs> okay, I also cool. looked at, uh, I did also look at a lot of um, restaurants for sale too. Oh, you're thinking of possibly it. buying an existing mm-hmm. restaurant? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so buying an existing restaurant and then of course do my own improvements, but that depending on what their build out is, it could save you time um, in terms of getting all the permits done. If you could, if you're just making cosmetic changes or smaller changes, right. but none of the ones um, that I was looking at were, you know, like an asset sale. They, were, they weren't really in the right location that I wanted to be in. I was looking, I wanted to be on the main street. Garnet sure. Ave is mm-hmm. the main street. So we're about a mile from the beach. I'd say more of the traffic and most of the, coveted space in San Diego and Pacific Beach is going to be closer to the beach. We're a little bit further, but we are closer to where um, locals are living, working, and playing. That's perfect. That, that is really great. Well, that all worked out really, really well for mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Let's talk about the name is interesting because powerhouse, most people would spell it the American way, but it, it, it's mm-hmm. A-U-S, which is sort of a German um, translation to powerhouse. How did that come to be? And why did you come up with that? Yeah, it's just a little bit of an homage to, I used to live in, um, briefly in Frankfurt and uh, yes, my, yes. Well, my husband. Yeah. So when we were, um, when we were there, the place that I was eating at every single day had the protein pizzas, protein burgers, and it just kind of, um, like that's just kind of where the house selling came gotcha. from. Also wanted it to be I was flipping, so powerhouse, it came from, I was flipping through a magazine and I talked about the powerhouses of nutrition. And that word really just stuck with me. I also wanted to make sure that it was a name that would be um, gender neutral. So I wouldn't be alienating like 50% off of the population just by like too girly of a name, call it. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. But it's, but it's catchy and I, and I mm. think it totally fits. And, you know, this mm. brings to mind 
1988, I took a train to Munich and, you know, had, oh, maybe 45 minutes before my next train left for Paris. And I went to the Hofbrau house, spelled U.S., you know, had a big Stein liter of beer from the St. Pauli girl and a beer battered pretzel and off I went. But that just comes (laughs) to mind, powerhouse. Okay, that's cool. Okay, so let's get into the menu. Now, not only do you have holistic, all-natural, organic, gluten-free, not everything is gluten-free, but Mm -hmm. you have gluten-free options. I mean, there's the health Mm -hmm. and the... And, you know, and the organic um, side, but you also do wraps and you do salads and you do smoothies. I think that's mm-hmm. really great. So mm-hmm. all natural ingredients and everything, I'm sure. The smoothies mm-hmm. are, are super foods and nutrient dense and everything as, as is your food, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. The whole premise behind uh, our whole concept is instead of feeling guilty about the food you're eating. So when I was going through, like when I first got into health and wellness, I was either not eating pizza at all, or I was eating it and feeling really guilty about eating it. Yes. I'm just learning a little bit more about the ingredients. Like for example, Domino's pizza crust has over 23 ingredients in it. It's just the crust. No so kidding. I'm not including any toppings. So I think that a lot of people just don't even realize that like yeah. we have a variety, but our base, more traditional pizza for everybody is just made with organic flour. And already there, you're using higher quality ingredients without all the highly processed ingredients that are typically in like a conventional pizza. Right, right, right. And then we use things like, so we've got something for everybody. So it's not about being all gluten-free or all vegan. It's more about providing options to best suit the needs of whoever is coming in. So we've got like we've got the garlic herb crust. It's gonna be our more traditional crust made with the organic flour, and then we'll use the grass-fed cheese. All of our meats are all natural, naturally raised, like uncured, nitrate-free. And then we do have more specialty crust options. Um, we've got a like a protein, a high protein, low carb crust with brown rice protein powder in the crust, mm-hmm. as well as ground flax in there. Um, a gluten-free crust with the brown rice protein powder. And our cauliflower crust. And it's pretty interesting. All four of our crusts are pretty equally as popular. Whereas if you look at a traditional pizza place, it might be all of their normal crusts and maybe just a little bit of gluten-free and whole grain. So it really just shows the demographic of customer that's coming in to Powerhouse. Totally. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about marketing. But before we go there, um, I've had some time to look at your website. And I've always believed that a really great restaurant website is something that gives you the experience of the place before you even get there. And Mm -hmm. gives you a very strong image and idea of what's behind the philosophy of the restaurant. I think Powerhouse's website does that particularly well. I mean, it seemed like you had a a flight of smoothies. Do you offer those? Like there's a sort of a blue paddle. We actually do flights of kombucha. Oh, so we do have a kombucha oh are those kombuchis? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. those are kombuchas. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought so it was, we do have that's cool. different rotating flavors of kombucha yeah. on top, and we partner with local brewers for that. So that's mm-hmm. what the flight is. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Very cool. And the pizza mm-hmm. looked incredible. Like you could almost reach into the screen and pick up a <laughs> slice and eat it. And I could see it and smell it and taste it, even though I was on your website. I'm like, that's fantastic. So. <laughs> Good job there. Let's talk about how you marketed this business and how you built initial awareness. I mean, did you create a buzz in the in the local neighborhood while you were doing the build out? Did you do anything special to let people know this was coming? Um, so before we opened to create that initial buzz, I didn't. I did a lot of 
involvement with Instagram. So getting, getting more people involved through Instagram and through the communities I was part of. So I was very involved with different fitness communities. That's mm-hmm. our direct target market. And when we did our opening days, invited all those people in. So we ha- had already like everybody coming in and sharing. And Instagram has been huge for both awesome. like me, my brand, as well as Powerhouse's brand. It's, we would, before we were open, we'd be asking or I'd be asking on like my Instagram um, what do you think of this smoothie? What do you think of this pizza? I was, I was just getting a lot of buy-in from people in San Diego that would eventually become customers to feel like they were involved in the process and just had a lot more ownership over what Powerhouse ended up being. And now those people have become influencers for your brand. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And awesome. it, it works out well that a lot of my good friends are mm-hmm. call it quote unquote Instagram influencers. So mm-hmm. I just had a lot of people that had a lot of reach automatically sharing. Fantastic. That's great. Mm-hmm. Did you have a line out the door at grand opening? I mean, after you did the soft opening, inviting the opinion leaders that you just talked mm-hmm. about, did you know when you opened for the public? I mean, what was the opening night like? Did you have any snafus? So was it stressful? We didn't. We didn't do a lot of marketing other than through Instagram yeah. for our opening weekend. I didn't do any PR till actually this like a year later. So I only recently started PR. Um, I didn't want to open too big because it's my first time running a restaurant. It was brand new for our team. And I was very cognizant of not wanting to make a bad first impression and losing people if we were not prepared. And so I didn't really want to go too big to get started. Um, Just because I knew, yeah, I just knew that we wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to handle it. My team wouldn't be able to handle it. And I'd rather like slowly grow than have Mm. a big grand opening. And then, you know, have people who just like didn't have the best experience because we were not prepared. And you create, yeah, obviously that, that was a really smart decision on your part and to create awareness over time and ease into things and make mm-hmm. sure that the customer experience comes first and that everyone leaves happy and satisfied. So mm-hmm. now in terms of social media, are you just doing Instagram and um, anything else? Instagram is definitely our main focus. We're also on yeah. Facebook. Um, I think it's just mainly those two that we're, we're usually on for social media. Sure. I have not ventured into TikTok or anything else like that. <laughs> yeah, my kids are so yeah. into this TikTok thing and all the kids seem to be. So maybe, yeah. that's, maybe that's something to look into in the future when you need to. But other than yeah. that, you're not doing any traditional marketing or advertising per se. We, I'm doing Instagram and Facebook ads. That's um, a, okay. I have tried like some print. So I've tried actually over this last year, I have tried a lot of things that have not worked and have been very expensive. Yes, um, of course. And then That's right. I've also found over this last year, so we only opened January 2019. So one, we're one year in. So mm. I've also found what does work. So I'm just doubling down on what does work. So um, we did do some print coupons. I didn't find that that brought in the right demographic customer that was going to continue to come back and be our customer. Um, I did some Google ads. I didn't find that that worked very well, but what, what really does work well um, because of our location we're we're very well located with a lot of foot traffic as well as a yoga studio that has about like 800 people coming in and out of there on a daily basis. So we leave out a lot of smoothie samples just outside the door and people can come in, come by, and just try a little like one ounce sample Smart. of our smoothies. Oh, yeah. Come in and come in or get a menu, come back later. 
That's that great. works really well. Yes, we do a lot of events. Um, so we, I, one reason why I wanted to do my pizzas in a physical location as opposed to I, I looked in the option of making the pizzas and selling them wholesale or in grocery stores. Yeah. I, I really did really want to create a community around what we're doing and have that social interaction aspect. So we do a lot of events and we partner with different uh, like other people. So we'll, we'll do crafts events, for example, and be pizza and craft night. We'll do workout plus pizza nights. We'll go to a workout and then come, come over to us, um, come over to powerhouse for the pizzas We'll do, we had, so a couple of weeks ago, we did a plant-based fitness and nutrition panel where we had a few different nutritionists, bodybuilders um, come on and talk about plant-based, like specifically vegan bodybuilding. So that was really cool. A lot of, and it's great because it's cross promotion. So whoever totally. we're partnered up with is spending like that week or two weeks promoting on their social media tra- channels about powerhouse this, powerhouse that. We're talking about them and it just, it gets like additional exposure, not just for the event, but just for our brand. Excellent. That's, Mm -hmm. that's really focused targeted marketing that, that pays off that costs very little, if anything, Mm -hmm. it's great Mm -hmm. word of mouth, great buzz. That's awesome. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about staff. You must have very specific, um, you know, expectations, um, Mm-hmm. of your staff and team building and the customer experience and how all that translates. One, let me ask you, are you having any staffing challenges as most of the country seems to be? Finding, keeping, and motivating a great staff is the number one restaurant challenge today. Mm-hmm. I would say that um, staffing is one aspect that uh, I think that we do a re- really good job in. So I have, since we opened in the last year, I have um, half my team still with me and the, the, the half that I wanted to keep. I've only lost one person that I actually wished I could have kept. Um, and he still comes in here now, but, but other than that, I've only lost one person that I, that I would have wished otherwise would be staying with us. So uh, I think that it's because they come in and they like, that the, peop- they like the people that they work with and they like uh, working with me too. Um, I think I'm very lenient in some ways where like I try to create, like, you know, like nobody, I remember when I was in my first couple of jobs and I you have to hide being on your phone, like something like that doesn't bother me. And I think that's a, a perk that I provide my team of young 20 year olds, late teenagers. They want to always be staying connected with their friends. And to me, as long as they're getting their work done, they're not getting, it's not getting in the way and they're washing their hands them being on their phone doesn't bother me. And I think that's a big like workplace part, call it. Cause at the end of the day, everybody's working at minimum wage. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I think that they do come in and they enjoy the other people that they're working with. Is your concept fast casual or is it full, you know, sit down dining it's, table service? It's fast casual. So everybody's cross trains. Um, yeah. Initially we had kitchen and front staff and it didn't make sense there was just not enough to do in the front. So now at this point, and any new people are, everybody's cross change. And it's, it's a role where you're front facing, customer facing, as well as doing all the prep dishes. Everybody does everything. Fantastic. Now, in addition to just the regular training of their specific job or function, did you do any service, customer service oriented training, salesmanship, upselling, suggestive selling, any of that kind of stuff? Is that important to your concept? Um, I, I do let 
people know like upselling like just it's mainly like asking about the drinks like adding on drinks especially because we're mainly a lot of takeout and delivery trying to get some mm. extra add-ons so like the salads desserts um because most people are coming in just want the pizza and that's it and they're not getting those extras so that is one aspect that we do try to um, we do it usually with the kombucha. We're like, oh, would you like to sample of any of the kombucha? Like, a very easy way because because they're all on tap. You can actually give out samples, and usually, when somebody tries it, then they kind of want a little bit of more of it. <laughs> now you have other um, profit centers as well. You're you're doing catering as well, right? Yeah, we found that I started doing catering orders about six months in, so about half a year now, and I found that that's worked really well for us um catering large orders like in like directly with like a family style catering order but also we were on a few different awesome platforms that um it's called virtual cafe office express as well as um foods b and then um those are two main like catering partnerships that we do and a business, so like a corporate business, can have all of their employees order lunch from us, but it's all individualized orders. So yeah. every single person gets to choose, you know, all of their modifications. They're smoothing the salad. Somebody else might be getting a wrap. Third person might be getting a, a pizza. So it's individual orders, but it's catering. And and that's, that's great for the um, it's great for the companies. It's great for us. They send a driver to us. Um, it's usually before we start a lunch rush and that's brought in a lot of extra revenue because otherwise our, our foot traffic, otherwise we're very dependent on foot traffic. It could be a rainy day. Who knows? So right, the heat is nice. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Okay. That, that's really good. Now you have an online ordering platform. Is that, mm -hmm. is that sort of uh, in line with your POS system? Is it a dedicated platform and how's that working for you? Our online platform ordering is directly through Toast. Um, oh, it's and a Toast. we're really happy with Toast, yeah. Okay. Everything, like they place an order online, any changes we make on our POS, it automatically syncs out and the orders go right on into our kitchen display screen. So it's very easy to use. We are on Grubhub, DoorDash, Postmates, and Uber Eats for delivery. I'd say delivery, third-party delivery. We don't have our own in-house delivery. It takes up about a third of our business. Yeah. And... Um, we actually turned off delivery through Grubhub. That was the only platform we were not, we were finding that the drivers were arriving too late, like an hour late. The food was getting cold. Oh. The reviews weren't great. So we just yeah. turned it off. It's only pickup only for Grubhub, but the other three platforms we have great experience with. Super. Okay. This is mm -hmm. all key learnings for those people, you know, that run restaurants that are thinking about doing the online ordering and delivery that, you know, you don't want it to somehow affect the service in house, but it's another profit center. And it's obviously, like you said, it sort of insulates you a bit from the, just the walk-in traffic. So it's something you definitely have to take a look at. Yeah. And about, know? and I didn't do it initially. Um, Initially, our prices on delivery, so the third-party delivery apps, was the same as our in-store yeah. prices. The oh. delivery apps, when you do the numbers, take out their marketing right, fees right. or tablet fees, it ends up being about 35 to 40% of, of what they end up taking. Sure. So I put that into the price of our pizza. So now our pizzas are $4 more for delivery than they are in-store. And our customers still are still paying for it. And we at least make money because before we were yes. doing all this delivery. Giving up your margin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We weren't making any money margin. off of it. 
there's no point. So now the customer pays for it and I feel Perfect. kind of bad. They're buying a $20 pizza half the time, um, but they get the convenience of it being delivered. But in relation to the other products out there that are, you know, almost or equally expensive, you're offering a higher quality product. Mm -hmm. that you feel good mm -hmm. about that has this this totally great hook to it, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're differentiated, you've differentiated yourself in the marketplace by having a totally unique offering as opposed mm -hmm. to, you know, what other people consider to be pizza. You're doing something at a much higher level. So mm -hmm. you exactly. be proud of that. And we really try to communicate that all the time. So that's another thing you're asking about my staff. That's one aspect of training is always pointing out the differences. So, oh, like here's your protein pizza. Oh, here's your gluten-free vegan pizza. Like just trying to like just put in these buzzwords. Um, like when they explain the, the menu, like always mentioning the grass-fed cheese, all natural meat. Um, yes, oh yeah, well, like, sure. here's your superfood smoothie. Yes. Like, oh, this yes. is my favorite. It's got lots of greens in it. Just continuing to reiterate. And it's, it's, I do a much better job of it than my team does. Of course, <laughs> but just always trying to reiterate those differentiating factors when our customers are buying their food. Yeah. Well, you know, we found that we, we did a lot of role playing in, in the early years and well throughout the business, you know, when I was running restaurants before, mm -hmm. the role playing is you sort of demonstrating how an ideal service experience should go and then recognizing and rewarding people for, for doing this. You know, mm -hmm. I remember I used to I used to take a hundred dollars out of the out of the bar drawer, the cash drawer, you know, and it would be one twenty and a couple of tens and a bunch of fives and a bunch of ones, all randomly shuffled, and I'd put it on the conference room table and invite everybody in, and then uh, impromptu, mm -hmm. okay, we're going to do some role playing here, and if you do the you know the job I'm hoping you do or or give us a great customer experience, you can take a bill off the stack, and it was such a motivator for people to get interactive and and it stuck, you know, and it really worked. Mm -hmm. and and they became brand ambassadors for our business. The customers were asking them for, you know, for them by name. It's like, this is show business. I mean, the restaurant mm -hmm. business is all about the customer experience and getting them to create or, or getting them to feel this affinity for your restaurant. I believe you're doing mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very cool. You were talking about numbers earlier. Let's get into the, the critical numbers in restaurant finances and profitability. And how deep do you get? personally involved in this in terms of one taking inventory knowing your food beverage and labor costs your daily break even and analyzing the stuff and knowing what your sweet spots are and are you sticking to your sweet spot week to week day to day mm -hmm. you know looking at past sales and seeing if your sales are trending upward or flat or downward and all this stuff like where, mm -hmm. where are you so I found I used to look at my numbers every single day and I found that I was getting too, especially first year in business, I was getting too emotionally tied in positive or negative to okay. my yeah. daily operations. Yes. And I needed, and now I take a step back. So now I look at them on a weekly basis. Um, I do all my own accounting and my bookkeeping. Um, I have been recently been training a bookkeeper, a virtual assistant from the Philippines um, to help me with that kind of stuff. Cool. But um, yeah. I, I would say that like, I have tried to take a step back and look at it on a weekly basis, a monthly basis to see our overall trends. Um, I'm pretty dialed. So I've done all of the like food cost calculations on an individual item basis, including everything, the salts. And then we look at our, we look at our ratios when I look at my monthly, um, I do like my monthly reports. I'm looking at my 
cost of goods versus my top line. Our top line includes everything, including our discounts to make sure that our like our food costs reflects all the food prepared. So my top line does include everything, including free food, comps food, that of kind course. of stuff. Yeah, because all mm-hmm. that enters into what, what what you would consider your true food cost, you know? Mm-hmm. And sell to a customer, um, you know, give away to a customer and a promotion, the staff eats, uh, the staff mm-hmm. gets 50% discount or whatever, anything that gets thrown in the trash or wasted, it's like, that's your food cost, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then I would say that I, I like to look at um, my numbers, like my labor costs, my labor, my, like my, how I'm basically, I like to look at, and I have my little spreadsheet that shows on a weekly basis, what our revenues are, take out our delivery fees, take out our average yes. food cost percentage, and then take yeah. out our, then I look on a daily basis. I take out my labor costs. I can see what it's like on a week to see what my contribution to my fixed cost then is after. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Can I ask what, I don't even know what the minimum wage is in California now. What is it? It's $13. 13. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know, you know. And difference. they're moving to 15, I think in the next, I think basically every year it's going to go up a dollar. Right. And when that does, we'll obviously increase price to cover. So you're not, you know, compromising your margins, mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. Yeah. We would need to increase our prices to cover that. (laughs) Of course. You know, that's something that operators find really challenging sometimes because they're afraid the customers are going to notice, they're going to stop coming in, and that the customer doesn't really understand that, you know, our food costs are rising all the time, labor costs are going up all the time, and we can't continue to absorb this without passing it on to the customer. And what's Mm -hmm. really interesting is, you know, I was in the business five years ago. I sold my restaurants and minimum wage in the state of Maine was $7.50 back then. I had a high volume restaurant. And then six, seven months ago, I just purchased a breakfast and a lunch place. And now minimum wage is $12. It's gone up like $4.50. It's going up another dollar for the next three years. Mm -hmm. And we just had to have a price increase because, you know, you just can't, you just can't make it. And the minimum wage increases has affected our food costs too. Like I've asked, yeah. like in January, we had certain ingredients go up and I asked my distributor what happened. It's like, oh, well, it's because of minimum wage. So like delivery drivers, everybody's getting paid more. Everything goes exactly. up. Exactly. And, and it's sort of a domino effect. Like you're saying mm-hmm. down the chain, everybody is passing on a price increase and you're the operator saying, you know, I got to raise prices. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. Whether you explain that to the customer, is there a tactful way to let the customer know that you're having a price increase and these are the reasons why? Do you try to sneak it? Mm-hmm. It's like, what's your philosophy? I mean, I think if you do it at the same time as minimum wage increasing, I think it's a right. very easy understanding. Yeah. It's all over the um, news and stuff. Yeah, like everybody, yeah. oh, like, yeah, minimum wage went up in January, so our price went up in January. So it's, I right. think it's a, I think it's a very logical thing that doesn't really need much explaining beyond that. (laughs) So you got into this business like I did. I mentioned a long time ago, got into it with no Mm -hmm. experience. Um, I called this the business of, you know, the school of hard knocks because you learn some very painful mistakes in the beginning until you systemize your business and you figure out how to make money and how to please the customer and how to get consistency in your product offerings. Did you mm-hmm. find that challenging? Do you have any horror stories to tell us that you'll never forget? I think that um, I think some of the lessons that I've learned was was making good hires to start. So yeah. when we were first opening, because we didn't have a brand, we were trying to hire eight people all at once. 
um, I, I was feeling desperate because we were not getting that many applications. And so I, I did hire some people and like one in particular where I was like, okay, you can never leave the kitchen. Like nobody can see, see you like just, and then, and, and just not a good hire, not a good fit for our team dynamics. And, and it took me, especially in California, it's hard to just, you can't really just fire anybody. It took me like six months to then weed that person out. So yes. it, it was a hard lesson to learn because it made, it affected the, you know, if I was coming into open with that person, I didn't enjoy it. Um, it, it affected my mood. It affected the mood of some of my best people. And I think that that was like, it's better. And now, now whenever short staff or I lose somebody, I'm a lot more cautious of that. I don't just fill the gap to fill the gap. I wait till I have a good person to fill the gap. So that brings to mind job descriptions and what I call key results and making every single position in your restaurant accountable to a certain set of standards. And when you hire someone, you sit them down and you sort of go line by line and you have them initial or sign off on, yes, I understand this. Yes, I know what the expectations are. And then we always had sort of bonusable items. Okay, these are the key results that we expect out of the basics of your job, but we're going to give you an incentive for going above and beyond the job and that sort of thing, which really served me well. Do you have any mm-hmm. or, or policies in your restaurant for recognition rewards, you know, um, keeping your best people motivated and knowing that, uh, you know, you keep mm-hmm. them on track sort of thing, job, performance mm-hmm. reviews, any of that sort of thing? We're a pretty small team, so unless other than our new people, it's just a pretty open dialogue all the time. Oh, and good. my team is very yeah. comfortable coming to me when they have issues, when they're frustrated about things. So mm-hmm. I try to just keep it like, I mean, it's really just me as the only manager and then my team. So sure. there's not that much hierarchy or uh, we're not that like, you know, we're not that on that level of professionalism, call it, where it's just a lot more casual. And it's more about just creating that environment where they feel like they can come to me at any time. Um, that's, that's smart. It seems to be working well in your business. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, things might change as we grow or for bigger, but, but for now it's working out well. <laughs> that triggers the next question, of course. I mean, what are the future plans for Powerhouse? Do you see this as being sort of a, a chain? You can open up other locations. Does it have franchise mm-hmm. potential, which I certainly see? Um, do you even want to go that deep or do you just want to keep it really you know, tight and controlled? I'm, what are you thinking right now? Mm-hmm. Well, I've tried to set up the business to be very um, reliant. So I, I think I've heard this before is um, have good systems and put good people in those systems versus everything. So, so we have systems and checklists for everything, like opening, closing, a, a prep list, like how to go through and figure out what we need to cook for the day. So if I'm out of town, which doesn't happen often, if I'm out of town, um, I, I can trust my team to go through and take care of everything because we've got those systems in place. Right. In terms of one, so it was just set up to be able to grow. In terms of growing it, I don't think that, it's, it's not a pizza place for everybody and it's not a pizza place for every market. Um, so we would need to have the right demographics of people that are um, willing to pay a premium for higher quality pizzas. And, and I think that that's been one challenge too is that that includes a huge educational aspect because um, our target market doesn't, has never thought of pizza as being a health food. 
and they've either cut it out of their life entirely or it's something they binge on when they're like drunk or something. Yeah. So there ha- yeah. so it takes, it's slower to understand, it's, it's slower to educate our customers on what we are and how we fit into their life because it is something completely new for our target market. Um, so I, I think that like, you know, there's some places in um, Southern California that would, would go really well in and um, a few other places. But I think for now, the goal is to just continue growing our existing store. I like the neighborhood I'm in a lot. Um, I've got all my best friends in there, all these businesses that I'm friends with. So I don't really see myself like going back and forth multiple markets too much okay. um and it's really just me <laughs> so there's my my the, the my capacity is constrained <laughs> bandwidth it's called bandwidth. yeah <laughs> well you know so i'm really really inspired by sort of the food truck craze that swept the nation and this has been going on for years but you constantly see more and more of these but you mentioned you're doing catering you're doing events what a great marketing vehicle to literally take your marketing vehicle to these events that then advertise your walk-in location, mm-hmm. high school football games and, you know, community events and stuff all over San Diego. There's suddenly mm-hmm. the powerhouse truck and that really builds the brand. I've seen so many restaurants mm-hmm. have success with that. I don't know if you've ever thought about doing that, that maybe that's something that, that mm-hmm. in your future, who knows, but. Yeah, pop-ups, those are always right? fun. We pop-ups. haven't really done them. Like we'll, what we'll do is we'll make a lot of pizzas at the stores and then we'll bring them to um, an apartment complex that's in our neighborhood and we'll yeah. sell them there. So we've done things like that where we make yeah. them and then yeah. go there and sell them. Excellent. Very cool. Have we missed anything you want to cover? I mean, we've been all over the gamut. We talked about marketing. We talked about finance. We talked about you know how you created your menu and how unique it is. We talked about selecting locations and negotiating leases and all sorts of stuff. Have I missed anything? Anything you'd like to say? Um, I think I would just like to say, um, I, I think that this has been a, like, everything's been a learning process. And, and I think that in our first year, I've had to learn when to pivot and when to yeah. hear feedback. Um, and so when we first opened, we only had three crusts. We didn't have our garlic herb. And that was something that people were coming in the door and they were looking for a more traditional pizza option. And I initially thought that we would just have our whole wheat protein fries or gluten-free in our cauliflower. So yeah. just learning, learning, we, we've had to learn how to meet the market where it's at too. And we've had to okay. do that in our messaging and our branding too. We've always, we've been tweaking it. Um, we were, when we first opened, we were powerhouse pizza and smoothies and that wasn't resonating. Our concept was not being communicated clearly enough to our target market. So we've recently changed that to powerhouse wholesome pizza and ease. So it's just, it's, it's always tweaking that first year has just been a lot of learning and trying to understand who our customers are, what they want, and then how do we reach more of those people? So it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> I may be getting this wrong, but when I was on the website, you had a tagline. I think it was something like "Eat food that makes you happy." Is that correct, or is it off? For we say, "Yeah, pizzas for your health and happiness." Yes, yes. And and we do that. Well, we partner with a lot of the schools in their neighborhood as well, and they do a lot of pizza fundraisers. And it's it's that whole concept of you know something that your family wants it makes them happy the kids want pizza but then doing something that's actually good for their long-term health at the same Mm -hmm. time and that's giving them the fuel that they need so that's 
that's kind of the sweet spot that we like to be in. (laughs) Last question. Do you have any great advice or what would, what advice would you give other aspiring restaurateurs like yourself thinking about getting into this business? Um, I would just say that there's a lot of resources out there. I mean, I taught everything myself and and really looked at all the resources available to me. So I have a score mentor who's in restaurants. Um, I've listened to lots of podcasts just like yours, where I feel like every episode I learned from a new, like it was instead of, I was almost like working a day in every single restaurant by listening to different podcast episodes um, and setting up informational meetings with different people. Um, I think that that's been like, YouTube videos. I went to the Pizza Expo if you're particularly interested mm-hmm. in pizza. Yes. Pizza Expo is huge. They have a lot of educational seminars there as well. I went there and I brought my dough, tested it out on all the different equipment to figure out what equipment I'd want to buy. So wow. I think that there's a lot of resources out there for anybody who wants to put in the time to learn. <laughs> and you did. You certainly did your homework from start to finish and you're still learning mm-hmm. constantly. And that is great advice for any operator, whether you're just thinking about getting in the business or someone who's been a veteran. You're never too old to keep learning and you mm-hmm. never know where your next big idea is going to come from. So definitely look to others and look for inspiration. And you certainly share the passion of our business. So you've been a great guest and I appreciate your being on the Restaurant Ruxers. Oh, thank you so much. I can't wait to listen to the recording. <laughs> That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Guys, I hope you're really inspired by this episode, listening to Anisha talk all about building powerhouse and the driving force behind that business. And it's so awesome for me that I get to talk to so many different operators, and I learn, I'm still learning. We should all still be learning in this business. You know, every single day we can learn from someone else in best practices on how to manage the business and to stay tuned to the finances and putting out really great product and training your staff. And, you know, I call this the business of a thousand details for a reason because it really is. But you really need to get the ins and outs of your business and get them really, really dialed because I call that an exit strategy. You know, you want to know where you're going next and you can't get there if you don't have a roadmap. So every day we should be working on our business so we decide how, if, or even if we do work in our business in the future and what that looks like, whether we want to open new locations or franchise a business. I clearly think that Anisha's got a franchisable model here. Or, you know, just do something else or spend more time with family and friends. It's all about putting the systems in our business. If there are any particular challenges or pain points you're having in your restaurant, again, I love talking shop with operators. I offer a complimentary 30-minute call with me and we'll just talk about what's keeping you up at night or what ideas you might have. And if you just want to run it by a 25-year veteran in the business who uh, now specializes in coaching other restaurants, I'd be happy to talk to you. So reach out to me. My email address, roger, R-O-G-E-R, at restaurantrockstars.com. Or if you have an idea for a great guest or a topic that you'd really like us to cover on the podcast, you can certainly email me and give us uh, your suggestions as well. So thanks as always for listening. Please leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you're hearing, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.